Today's episode is brought to you by Create Engage, the specialist digital marketing agency for the disruptive management consultancy. Now, for long-time listeners, you will probably already know who we are. You may have even heard one of our ads on a previous episode of this podcast. But for those of you who don't, here is a short introduction. At Create Engage, we help you create an effective marketing strategy for your consultancy, a strategy that will resonate with your target clients. And then we support you by delivering the campaigns you need to turn that strategy into a reality, helping you to build your brand, raise your profile with your prospective clients, and ultimately generate return on investment from your marketing activity. Now, I could tell you about many of the great clients that we work with and the results we've delivered for them. But instead, I'm going to do something much more powerful and something that I would recommend you do for your own marketing. I'm going to let our clients do the talking for us. If you are currently thinking about marketing for your consultancy, you're going to want to listen to this. Create Engage started the process for us. They managed it end to end. They came up with some really creative ideas and we were really happy with the work that they did, which meant that we could just focus on running the business. Not only did we start conversations with clients that we hadn't spoken to before, but also there was tangible return on investment by some work that we were given. They've helped right from the initial shaping of the idea through to helping us work out what our end goal was. They've supported us with the visual identity and our positioning of the brand. We've had an immediate expansion of our network and, and have initiated a raft of new conversations with owners, CEOs in, in target client organisations and has led to us winning new projects already. One of the greatest compliments, I guess, is that one of our competitors even said that uh, they really like what we're doing with marketing. They wish they could be doing something as good. So from our perspective, we couldn't recommend Create Engage any more than this. I would certainly recommend Create Engage if you're a consulting firm. They really understand consultancies and the sort of challenges we face. And uh, you know, I don't think you're going to get much better marketing anywhere else. So I wouldn't hesitate to recommend Create Engage. They did a really good job for us. So if you're looking for an agency that can help you achieve the results that our clients just described, then head to our website, createengage.co.uk, where you can find out more about how we support consulting firms like you. You can download our latest ebook and you can get in touch to talk about how we can help you take your consultancy to the next level through digital marketing. Hi, and welcome to today's episode of Climate Consulting, the final episode of our three-part series looking at what your consultancy needs to do to thrive in today's hybrid world. To finish the series, I take the lead and give you the Create Engage take on what you need to do to ensure that your marketing strategy for 2022 is set up for success. As with the last two sessions, I am joined by Rob Garner of Garwood Solutions and Derry Hughes of Explore Consulting to talk about what we're seeing and also to get their insights on what they are seeing work for their own firms. In this one, I share some of the strategies and approaches that we are using with our clients right now. And I explain how you can create an effective marketing strategy that cuts through the noise and will help you reach your target clients however and wherever they are working. To keep your consultancy growing over this year and beyond, winning new business is vital. And to win that business, you need to start new conversations. That's where marketing plays a crucial role. 
if you are struggling to generate return on investment from your marketing activity and want to know where you're going wrong and what you need to do to fix it, this is the episode for you. I hope you've enjoyed the series. I hope you enjoy today's part three. Any questions for myself, Rob, or Derry, please do get in touch. If you'd like us to do more series like this, or you'd like me to do more series with others in the industry, with other people and other specialisms, do let me know. But otherwise, please enjoy today's episode of Climbing Consulting. Today, we're going to be looking at how to develop your marketing for a hybrid world. So something that we talked about a lot with Rob's session and Derry's session earlier in this series is how you need to respond to the changes. We've gone from fully in-person to fully virtual and back again. And that's now where we need to look at how do we balance that in a world where we're, we're going to see a mix going forward for at least the next 6, 12, 18 months and beyond. So for today, we're going to start with talking about what that means for your marketing. We're then going to look at how you can build a strategy to respond to that. Finally, then, we're going to talk about actually how do you put this into practice? Because I think this is a question I get a lot from clients, prospective clients, is I hear about this marketing or I've tried a few things. How do I actually make it work? And very often, if that's not because the strategy isn't right, it's because the execution isn't right. And I'm going to talk about specifically what you need to change as a result of this hybrid virtual and in-person world that we now live in. We'll then go to questions where you'll be able to ask myself and my co-hosts, Rob Garner and Derry Hughes, any question you want, be it about marketing or be it about their sessions on hybrid operations or hybrid talent. So to introduce them, I'll invite Derry and Rob to join me on screen and be keen just to, to share a bit more about themselves. Also tell you a bit more about myself before we go on. So I'm Nick Sinnott, Director at Create Engage. We are a specialist digital marketing agency for the management consulting industry. As well as running Create Engage, I also run the leading podcast for our industry, Climbing Consulting, which is scarily up to 65,000 downloads and touching 100 episodes. So that's me. Derry, do you want to say a little bit about yourself? Sure. Thanks, Nick. Great to see everybody here on the third and final session of this series. Uh, thank you for joining us on a, on a Thursday afternoon. So I'm Derry Hughes, founder of Explore Consulting, uh, which is a recruitment platform dedicated to the consulting industry, particularly smaller consulting firms. And with Explore, what we're really trying to do is cast the net as wide as possible to make consulting careers accessible to all capable people. I'm also a founder of Honeycomb PS, an operations and training business that's also focused on uh, boutique consulting firms. And prior to that, I was at Credo Business Consulting as their CFOO. I've been working in and around boutique firms for about five years now. Uh, I'm a strategy consultant by background. I started at Bain & Company several years ago. So yeah, I've, uh, I ran the hybrid talent webinar on Monday and have a, like, a few thoughts on how marketing for candidates needs to work in this hybrid world as well. Looking forward to the session. Brilliant. Thanks, Terry. And I think definitely let's touch on that candidate side further on because it's a really critical piece. Rob, do you want to introduce yourself? Good afternoon, everybody. Uh, Rob Garner. I'm a founder and director of Garwood Solutions. We're a specialist uh, consultancy advisory business focused exclusively on professional services, helping organizations to accelerate growth, improve efficiency and realize value. Prior to that, I've got a 30-year career in professional services, 20 years in leadership. For my sins, I was a big four partner, founded, grow, grew, and exited my own business, and latterly was the chief executive of a listed software and services business in the education sector. 
Thank you for that. And just as a reminder for anyone who is joining us for the first time, Rob's session on hybrid operations, Derry's session on hybrid talent are available on demand. I'll share the links after this session. And I think that brings us nicely actually on to just a quick recap. So for those of you who have been following the series, but also for those of you that aren't, just to help you understand why the three of us came together is through the different vantage points we have and what we do for our clients we are seeing there are three core areas that our clients are asking about and having challenges with. And that's what this series has tried to address is how do you structure your organization, your hybrid operations for that world? How do you look at your processes, your operating model? How do you make sure that your people, be that your recruitment or your retention strategies are aligned to that? And lastly, actually, how do you balance the digital world with the physical world? Because A year, two years ago, it was all physical. For the last year, it's been all digital. And unsurprisingly, the biggest question that I'm getting at the moment is, what's the mix? Do we go all the way back to physical? Do we stay fully in the digital? How do we we manage that? So that's what we're going to spend the next 20 or so minutes on, and then we'll go to Q&A. Any questions, please drop them in the chat window. It's worth saying I'm on a laptop today. Um, I've actually been visiting a client, so I don't have the chat window or the Q&A. Rob and Derry will be managing that for me, and we'll pick up any questions at the end. But please do just field questions or put questions in throughout, and we can pick them up. So what has changed? Well, I think the first thing to highlight, and I know it's a bit cliche, but the world we live in is here to stay. Whether that is 3-2, whether it's 4-1, whatever that mix is, the fundamental that clients and consultants will not be on site every day is here to stay. And that has some really big implications when it comes to marketing and business development. For example, I know quite a few partners in, in big consultancies, also in smaller ones, where their BD and their marketing strategy was simply to sit in the client's canteen. It's a great approach. You sit there long enough and someone's going to come past you. And then you know, serendipity, you have a chat and that leads to you chatting about how's the new project going? How's the, you know, how's the requirement gathering? Do you need some help with that? That very natural approach was completely ripped away when we all went remote. And the thing to highlight, and this is what we'll come on to today, is that approach has gone now almost forever until we go back to that world. And the simple reason is because your clients are no longer operating as they did. They're no longer here five days a week visiting the canteen. If they're in the office, they're probably there for a meeting. They're there to to do work with their colleagues and they're there to go home. So actually, it's much harder to get that time with them. And it's much harder to line that time up because they might be in Monday, Wednesday, Friday, one week, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, the next. The organic just bumping into each other, the wandering, the halls, sort of popping your head around the door to someone's office these tactics no longer work. And so you need to be looking at how do you keep the digital that's working and then how do you build on that where it's appropriate, where it can benefit you with the physical. I think the second piece is through the last year and a half, clients have become accustomed to this. So as an agency, three years ago to two years ago, we were telling clients, don't do webinars. Nobody goes to them unless you are IBM or someone selling enterprise-grade SaaS platforms. Nobody uses webinars. They do not work. As we've all seen through lockdown, actually the perception of what your clients and prospective clients are willing to engage with has fundamentally changed. The fact we're sitting here on a webinar series today shows that. And that's where actually this is client-led, that drive to absorb content, absorb information. And it's a great opportunity for you because you can position your consulting firm as the people giving that information, as that source of thought leadership to draw them to you. And I think the last thing to say is, Frankly, your competitors are doing this, and we know because we're working with a lot of them. You saw on the video at the start of the webinar, 
Those are all clients of ours. They're all doing this and it's delivering results. Few highlights, webinar series like this. We've had ones which have got 200 people signed up, 130 people attending. That's 130 people directly watching our client, your competitor, learning about their services, how they can help. We've had other sessions with 60 people on. We've had these sessions that lead to direct client conversations. In one case, we've had a client where a webinar led to a client, and then the same client was willing to appear on another webinar to, in effect, attract more clients. We've had podcasts where the guest has become a client. And I say these as examples just to highlight that it's no longer a case, as it could have been three, four, five years ago, that just because you have a big name and a big office means you're going to draw people. As small boutique consultancies, you have the opportunity to really get ahead of your big competitors, but also overtake your boutique competitors who simply aren't doing this yet because they're hoping that we're going to go back to the old world. And that isn't something that's going to happen in a hurry. So that's what's changed. But the thing I suspect you're probably asking is, okay, well, what do I do with that? That's really interesting. But how do I actually take advantage of that? And that's really what I want to talk about for the next 20, 25 minutes. Then we'll go into Q&A. And so the first thing, and this is the number one mistake that every consulting firm that I've ever spoken to who struggled with marketing has made, which is they always start with the doing something as opposed to the strategy. And it's the same in what we all do as consultants. It starts with strategy. And if you get the strategy right, everything else flows. If you don't get the strategy right, the chances are your marketing campaign, what you're putting out on LinkedIn, the webinars you're running, they're not going to be hitting the people you want. So they're not going to be delivering the results you want. And so that's going to be what I want to talk about next is how to develop that strategy. And I'm a big believer, and we will touch on this in terms of the tactics, is any marketing you do has to give value. And so for today, if you get nothing else, this framework that I'm going to go and talk you through now, and and I'll walk you through the key stages, will give you everything you need to build a marketing strategy for your firm. We sell this to clients as a workshop for three and a half thousand pounds. You can take it for free and run it yourself if you would like. It works for all professional services. We've worked it through with uh, accountancy firms, with consulting firms, and that's everything from public sector to financial services, to innovation, to procurement. You can do it if you're a smaller boutique. It could be at firm level. If you're a bigger boutique, it'd be practice level. But it works at all of those levels. It's efficient. It's something you can do in a day's workshop or a day's session. And it works very well for the hybrid world because it's focusing on the principles of what is it that's special about you and who are you trying to market to? And if you get those right, the tactics, and I'll take you through the tactics, will all follow from there. Now, you should all be able to see the framework. So let's start then with the top of our framework and something that a lot of consultancies really struggle with or struggle to articulate. And this is what you want to be famous for. What is it that's unique about you? What is it that makes you the best in your space? And this is a really fundamental principle to any marketing strategy, and particularly for boutique firms like yourselves, is you will never outbig the big four. You'll never be the biggest in whatever you do, because there's always a bigger, there's always a PwC and EY there to, to be ahead of you. The way you will win in marketing is by going the opposite direction. And this is something that sounds really counterintuitive, but actually going niche, becoming the best person, the best consultancy at something really specific. So it might be that you do IT consulting and you've tried to market saying, we do IT, we're the best at IT, we do everything. And this is a common challenge because when you're a small business, when you're a growing business, and I know this having launched Create Engage myself, you want to say you can do everything because you don't want to miss out on work. 
So you say, we do all IT. And actually, that's the approach that will lead to your marketing being diluted and having less of an impact because your clients want specialists. And actually, they're very willing to accept someone who's excellent in their, their space, in their niche, but isn't necessarily, doesn't know the next niche, but we all want to work with the best. So in our case, we are specialists at management consulting, but we work with law firms. We work with accounting firms because they see us as an organization that really gets our space. They understand how there's links to that. And therefore, they're happy that they're working with the best that will cross over. And it's the same with what you do. You might be the best at IT requirements development, super niche. That is what you are known for. And if you get really focused on that, that doesn't mean you can't do other work. You can't do IT delivery. You can't do IT audit. It doesn't stop you selling that. It doesn't stop you speaking to clients about that. But it lets you build a really strong marketing position. And the great thing is, as we all know, you don't need that many clients, that many projects to build a phenomenally large consulting firm. I was speaking to someone the other day. They're running a £5 million account. And that's obviously quite a large account, but I know a lot of firms that are running 500, a million pound accounts. Simple maths, if you want to be a 10 million pound firm, you need 10 clients at a million pounds. That is why this focused approach works, is actually to get those 10, you're going to have much more success going for the 10 clients who are desperate to get their IT requirements gathering right than you are saying, we do everything and trying to pick away at all of the other competitors who say the same thing. So that's the first thing to think about is what is it that makes you unique? Try and really hone that in a way that's tangible and has a niche. And if you're struggling, just keep going smaller. It could be your industry. And if industry is too big, go sub-industry. So for instance, a lot of consultancies say financial services, but is it financial services or is it banking or is it insurance? Or actually, if you go down the level below, is it a specific section of the insurance market, maybe the London and Lloyds of London market? Already, you've gone from a quite generalist FS player to a really focused London market player. And this is a really interesting piece. And I'm sure we all see this in our industries is people want to work with people who get what we do. And if you show you get what they do, it's a much, much easier sales conversation when they've become a marketing lead, when they've come through that funnel and and they've got to the point that they're a sales conversation. So that's the first thing to think about. Spend a lot of time on that because you need to get that right. Once you've got that right, you want to focus on who are your target clients. And this is, again, something that we often spend a lot of time with our clients, prospective clients talking about, because it's a fundamental and often something that most consulting firms do not put enough focus or attention on. If I was to ask you on this webinar, and I asked many consulting firms, the chances are they would say something along the lines of, oh, we work with CEOs, we work with CFOs, or the, you know, we've all heard this, the I work with C-suite. And there's two things. Firstly, there is no such thing as C-suite, just like there's no such thing as management consultant. Everyone on this call is a management consultant, but every one of you are different. And secondly, and a little dose of realism for most, I would say that 90, 95% of the people I speak to who say they work at C-level do not. And that's not a problem. There are vast, vast budgets at C-1, 2, 3, 4, 5, depending on the size of organization you work with. If you're working with a FTSE 100, a FTSE 50, FTSE 10 organization, the budget that that person, CEO minus 10, is going to have probably eclipses the CEO of the FTSE 250. And that's a really important point is you want to be focusing on the level that you actually do sell at, but much more importantly, and where we're going to come here, the people you sell at. And this is a real fundamental is you do not sell to grades. As I said, you're all different. Your clients are all different. 
And what you want to build is what we call target client avatars. These are rich personas, rich visualizations of actual clients that would buy you and your organization. And you really want to dig into who they are and, and actually them as people, not them as a role. Because yes, they have a role, but people by people. It's a services business. That's what we operate. And if you can get that right, when we go into content in a moment, everything will start to fall into place. So how do you define those target avatars? Well, we always recommend looking at a few key focus areas. So firstly, who are they as a person? You know, What are they trying to achieve? Is it that they're new in role and they need to make an impact? Is it that they've been in role for 10 years and they just want an easy life? Is it that they're young and this is a stepping stone in their career? Is it that they're old and actually this is a legacy play for them? They want to be seen as the person who made that mark so that they can go and get, I don't know, the you know, the knighthood or the, the membership of their society or club, whatever that is. You know, these things drive people. Likewise, actually, what is it that motivates them? Are they intrinsically motivated? So for instance, we work with a number of clients in healthcare where their clients are intrinsically motivated to do a good job. They want to help people. They want to help people get better. And ultimately, that's what change is, is enabling. If we can change something, it will help them get better. It's also worth saying we have some healthcare clients whose target avatars actually are much more extrinsically motivated. They want to be able to progress in their career. They very much want to be seen as the person building a legacy. And this will depend on the industry you're in and change. But you may have one avatar who is very intrinsically motivated. You may have one avatar who's very extrinsically motivated. And understanding, as we'll come on to, the challenges and pain points for each of those is going to be really important to your marketing. So you know a little bit about them. Who are they? Also, what are they trying to achieve? Are they trying to deliver a major project? Because that's going to be interesting when we're building marketing. Are they just trying to steady the ship because they're fighting fires every day? These are things we want to know. Then we want to dig into their challenges and pain points. So it's really worth touching on this for a moment because very often when we're building out marketing, we think, what do we want to sell? And ultimately, marketing is about giving your clients what they want to consume. At this stage, they're not buying anything. You're giving them what they want to consume to help them improve what they do. You're giving them value. And value almost always comes back to these challenges and pain points. Because if it's not a challenge, it's not a pain point, you do not care about it. There is a slight nuance there. Obviously, if it's a goal, you do care about that and you, you're interested in how to achieve that. But that's where we, we delineate challenges and pain points. So a challenge is broadly a positive thing. So it's trying to achieve something, but something will take work. A pain point is something that is uncomfortable and keeps you up at night. And I always hear you use an example of the marathon. So the challenge is that you want to run the marathon. You're excited by it. You really get fired up. You love the idea that you're going to be able to do, do the distance. The pain point is, well, what if I get two weeks out and, and blow my knee? You can't do it. I have to you know, say sorry to everyone who's donated me money. I'll be really embarrassed. That's the pain point. And now from marketing, we can create marketing that hits both of those people. We can do the workout plan that guarantees you'll achieve the distance in record time. We can do the workout plan that guarantees you won't blow out your knee could be the same workout plan, but actually we're marketing around that, which is important. Now, I use that as a sort of B2C example, just because it's usually easier for people to conceptualize. You would do the same in your marketing for your consultancy. The challenge might be, how do I implement a system? The pain point might be, how do I do that without loads of bugs sneaking in and actually us not delivering the benefit? And it's worth saying, and this is where it gets quite visceral almost, is often a pain point we find for avatars when we build them is, is not getting fired. And you've got to remember this is you are there to help your client 
move forward, help them progress their career, and potentially help them not get fired. And when you know that, actually, that really helps in terms of sharpening, I guess, sharpening the acts on that marketing material. What is it that your client would be desperate to read because they think it's going to help them achieve that goal or save that job? And then the last piece of this, and I'll move on in a moment to actually the content, which is largely the rest of the framework. You need to look at where they are in the buying journey and what's their role. And, and we really we tend to focus on role more than journey. I'll show you journey in a moment around content. Because very often when you dig into who's the buyer, people say, oh, I, I sell to the CEO. And actually you don't. You sell to their head of transformation who then recommends to the CEO. Or you sell to the head of business analysis who sells into the head of projects. You might sell directly to the head of project. You might sell directly to the CEO. But being really clear about the people's the avatars that you're dealing with and the roles they have in the journey helps you know where to spend time. Because you might have an avatar, you build out halfway and think, actually, they've got no buying power, they've got no influence, why are we marketing to them? And that's very often what we find. Equally, the other way around, you might find someone you've never done marketing for who has tons of influence and actually spending time on them is going to give you a disproportionate benefit to spending time on the ultimate buyer. Because everyone wants to invite the CEO for lunch, dinner, breakfast, etc., not so many people want to invite the PMO analyst or the head of PMO. And actually, those people can have a disproportionately large impact on your marketing results for a significantly lower spend, for instance. Once you know your, what you want to be famous for, once you know your target clients, that's where you bring it together in your key messages. And this is really the elevator pitch, the one, two, three, four, five bullets of, okay, how does what we do land with the people we do it? How do we describe what we do in a way that will light those people up? And once you've got that, then you get into marketing content. And as I said, this is where a lot of consulting firms go wrong, is they will jump straight to this piece, shaping the content, planning the content. How do we actually create the campaign without doing this upfront piece? And if you've not done this upfront piece, you are completely guessing at how you do this. You might be lucky. You might just have that innate knowledge of your client base, or you might be in a really hot market and it's worked. And that's fantastic if that's the case for you. But if it hasn't worked, if you've tried this and it's failed, or you're really budget conscious and you want to make sure you're spending your, your money, but also your time in the right place, start here. Start with what do you want to be famous for? What is your niche? Who are those target clients? And then what are those key messages? So now I'm just going to go back to the slide deck because I want to come on to this latter half of our framework. And I want to really bring that hybrid focus to it because ultimately that is the focus of this series. And it's something that I think a lot of consultants are really wrestling with. And this was true in the digital age, but it's been heightened in this hybrid age. So to put this into practice, your content, a quick pit stop in terms of marketing theory. Broadly, your marketing funnel has three sections. And this is, again, something that's worth thinking about for your firm. There's the top. There's your clients think they have a problem. They've got no idea if there's a solution for it. They just know something hurts. You know, my systems aren't working. My processes aren't working. That's all they know. The middle is when they, they've started to do some digging into this and they, they have an idea of actually, how do you fix this? So take process improvement, for instance. I could use Lean Six Sigma. I could use this proprietary methodology from another consultancy. I could use the LCS approach. These are all different options for how to solve that process problem. And then at the bottom of the funnel is where they're really starting to want to take action. This is where it starts to move into a sales conversation is, I know that I want to use Lean Six Sigma to fix my processes. And I found two or three consultancies. And I really want to test out, okay, I've only got time to speak to two. I've got three on the list. Who do I drop? Or I've got five on the list. Who do I drop? 
And this is something that's really important because your marketing needs to talk to all of these levels. Can clients go from awareness to consideration in a flash? Yes. Can they go from awareness to sale in a flash? Yes. But does the vast majority of your client base work through these stages before you speak to them for a sale? Also, yes. And this is where you really need to focus your marketing for the hybrid world that we now live in. So this, as I say, is really simple. And we'll go into this in Q&A, very happy to dig into it. But this is something that I think just helps visualize how different tactics and different approaches can work in your strategy and also hopefully helps you see where you may be going wrong. Because this is something I hear time and time again, which is, Nick, we've tried marketing, does not work, waste of time in professional services. And very often I will speak to a prospective client and and understand where that is. And that is largely because they've been doing the, the two on the left. I've done blogs, I've done LinkedIn content, and no one's called me. No one has followed up. No one wants to buy from me. As you can see here, the answer is quite simple. You've done a bunch of top funnel content, ignoring whether the strategy is right for now, but you've got nothing to take them from middle into the bottom and beyond. And that's where these other tactics and, and approaches come in. So we always say to clients, you should be doing LinkedIn content. If you've got the resource, you should be doing blogs because you need top of funnel content. Email newsletters is a really interesting one, and we're getting quite practical here. And I'm, I'm going to go a bit quickly because of the Q&A I want to get in and make sure we have time to discuss. Email newsletters is something we see work brilliantly. I would say that 70, if not 80% of the people on this webinar today are here from email newsletters. Likewise, we have clients who we have nurtured through our weekly newsletter who have then gone on to buy us. And the great thing it's also worth touching on with email newsletters is not only are they brilliant in their own right, but they can be a great way to drive awareness of your other tactics. So I just touched on it, but we sent our entire database, an email to tell them about this webinar series, and a whole raft of people signed up. That instantly tells us that someone has gone from the top of funnel, I don't really know what I'm trying to achieve, to at least the middle. Every one of you on this webinar is in at least that middle stage. I I know there's a problem. I'm trying to find solutions. I think I know what it is. In this case, it's marketing. Podcasts, again, very similar. I think podcasts as well, and this is where we can start to get into the hybrid world a little, are a really interesting hybrid tactic because for the last year, podcasts have been virtual. You record over Zoom, you have a chat, you say goodbye. That's really good for efficiency. It's actually not very good for relationship building. And so while this is very much looking at the audience angle, the other thing to think about for a podcast is actually the guest angle. And that's where the in-person, the hybrid, the physical piece is really important because I talked earlier around how your client won't be wandering through the canteen and you can't just sit there hoping to bump into them. What you can do is say, look, we're running a podcast. You are a fantastic leader in change. Our podcast series is all on change. Can I come to your office and record the interview in person? Really like doing it. Just a much better feel, gives a much better conversation. What you've instantly created there is that informal meeting for a hybrid world. You have scheduled a time when your contact's going to be in the office. You're going to be in the office. And you are going to have probably 15, 20 minutes with them either side of that interview for those casual conversations. And that's a brilliant way to both reinforce with current clients, but also get in the door with new clients. This is, I think, the the most underappreciated benefit of podcasting is it lets you speak to prospective clients who you have no right to be in the building with otherwise because they would just say, oh, you're trying to sell to me. As soon as you make it a value-giving conversation, you're, you're sharing their story with the world, suddenly you get in the door. And as I say now, you can do that physically and reap the benefits. 
Ebooks are an evergreen piece of content, and evergreen, just for those who may be less familiar with it, is something that goes on and on and can persist for months, if not years. And um, if you want to in the QA, I can come on to why that's important, but I'll, I'll keep going for now. Ebooks are a great way to generate leads, build awareness, and, and work the whole way through the funnel because someone may want information on at the top level. I assume there's a solution. Let's go and find how many there are, they'll download the ebook. In the middle, they might say, right, I'm really thinking about this solution, download the ebook. At the bottom, they say, right, I've got three providers. Who's going to be the one I go for? That's going to be the that that's going to be when they download the ebook again. So that is a really key point just to touch on there around the ebook can go all the way through. There's a question around the ebooks, are they the biggest bang for buck as you hit people at every stage? So I'll answer that just because I think it's really important is I would be saying none of these tactics alone are the biggest bang for buck, and they depend on what you're trying to achieve. So an ebook can be brilliant. And as a campaign, it's a great campaign. But you might also want to do a webinar-led campaign, which can have, to a certain extent, equal results, if not better results, depending on what you're trying to achieve and depending on the time frame. So I think that's the other metric to think about is actually how long have you got to generate these leads? I'll come back to this a bit later because I, I don't want to take too many questions during this section. But to the question of, is it the biggest bang for the buck? I would be saying you need to look holistically at a, a strategy that incorporates at least some of these tactics. Because an ebook that sits on your website without being promoted to anyone is never getting anywhere, for instance. So just to finish the last three, and then I'll open it up and invite Derry and Rob back so we can answer questions and discuss these further. Lead Gen LinkedIn PPC Again, a hugely underappreciated channel, still very digital, but amazing impact because it lets you get your content out to a targeted audience of um, your client avatar. So when I talked about knowing the industry you want to work in, and I know I was a little dismissive of level, but you will have an idea of whether you work with level, you know, CX level, minus one, two, three, et cetera. And you know the industry you work in because your avatars, you know, those are some basic premises of your avatars. LinkedIn lets you actually target those people with your content. So that could be our ebook, that could be our podcast, it could just be our LinkedIn content. And just to share a little story from from me in terms of how I started my business, this is how I did it. LinkedIn ads targeting managing partners of consulting firms of 10 to 100 advertising our ebook, getting those downloads, starting conversations. Now that is one tactic and it was very focused on middle to bottom lead gen. And it is not the only thing I would recommend to any of our clients to do. But it's just to give you an example there, and we'll come on to more examples. The last two then, webinars, again, we're here. I've talked about some examples earlier. They work really well, and I'll go on to it in the questions if you want. And I think the last thing to say, because it's probably the one that you saw on the slide and were thinking, I wonder where he's going with this, in-person events. Now, I get a lot of questions about in-person events. And as you see on the funnel here, my advice is use them sparingly and use them thoughtfully. And that's simply because the axes we don't have on here is budget or cost. In-person events can be phenomenally expensive, especially compared to other channels here. So take webinars. This series for Rob, Derry, and myself has cost us zero. Well, that's a lie. It has cost us a Zoom subscription. So between us, it's cost us £300 plus our time. If I was to run an equivalent event for everyone on this session, we would be talking, even just a basic breakfast event, we would be talking into the thousands, plus the time of our team and logistics to get it all right. That's what you need to think about when you're thinking in-person events is 
is this really going to deliver the value I need from it? Is this going to deliver the return on the investment? And that's why they are down here in the bottom funnel, is they can be brilliant. They're a great way to connect with people. A round table, you get dedicated time with them. But think a lot about who are the people in that room and how are you getting them? So it could be that someone has seen your LinkedIn content, downloaded your ebook, they've attended a number of your webinars, and they are a, a someone in your buyer avatar. Maybe they're a good person to invite to an event. Someone you've never met, someone you have no relationship with on a, on a hope, probably not the best use of that time or money. And I say, I'm going to pause there in terms of tactics because I'm, I'm, we're getting a lot of questions and I want to open this up to Rob and Derry as well. So that is, as I say, where the world is changing. It's how to develop your strategy. It's how to start using those tactics. And I'm now going to pause there. What I'm going to do is invite Rob and Derry back onto screen and we'll take questions from yourselves. If there's anything in the recap that is worth going back to, I will. But I really want to give you time to ask the questions you want. And I'm conscious the clock's ticking and we're, we're closing in on what will be going to the pub time. So Rob Derry, can I invite you back? And we'll go on to Q&A and really keen to, to dig into the topics that um, our audience are interested to find out about. Nick, thanks. Uh, we've had a question come in actually, sort of as a follow-on to the question that you've already answered about the sort of tactics and the bang for the buck of eBooks, which is really just asking, what do you think therefore perhaps the blend of tactics might be to a new organization to digital marketing? So it's, it's a really good question, Robin. It's a little bit hard to answer because it depends a lot on budget. And I say that around digital because to the person asking, you could be an organization of two people and budget's phenomenally tight, or you could just be an organization, you could be an organization of 100 who hasn't got to marketing yet. I think though, to, to help you, and this would be a model I would share for anyone who is, I guess, listening to this or, or sort of on the session, I would focus on what is it that will help you get closest to your goal of conversations and I guess leads quickest and cheapest because A, either that will give you work that funds more growth and marketing, or it will just prove this to people who are doubtful. And, and both of those are useful. So actually where we start with clients, and this may change, but we start with webinars supported by LinkedIn content and email news outreach. And actually, and full disclosure, we work with Rob firm Garwood. And this is where we started with, with them is let's run webinars, a series, a clear series, similar to what we've done here, focused on your target clients. And let's promote that through your LinkedIn, through your email newsletter or email database to drive people to it. So for someone who's new, that's where I would start. Equally, eBooks can be a good approach if you're less comfortable with webinars. The challenge with eBooks is there's just a, there is a prep period that takes time. So if you need to write an eBook, you're looking at 12 weeks before it even goes live. So to be able to judge the effectiveness of the campaign, you have to be looking at six months elapsed time. Whereas with webinars, you can have a series run in three months, you'll know the results and you can move on or you can do more, you can refocus depending on where you, I guess, what you get from that. I guess that's my my thoughts, chaps. I mean, Rob and Derry, you're building businesses yourselves. I mean, what did, maybe Rob, I've answered your question, but Derry, maybe what did you do? Yeah, let me. Um, uh, I've got a few thoughts on that. I think um, when you're first dipping a toe in the water with this stuff, this, like this slide can feel a bit overwhelming, right? Like, oh, I've got to create LinkedIn content, write blogs, generate an email list, figure out how to email people, like what mailing tool am I going to use? I've got to set up a podcast. That can feel kind of overwhelming, right? So the way that I think about this is like, where do you get the biggest bang for the buck in terms of the creative content you're coming up with? Because in many ways, that's the hard bit particularly when you're up to your neck in client work, 
and you're trying to like, convert the leads that you've already got and you're trying to build a team and all of the operational stuff that you need to do. So like, something like a webinar is incredibly powerful for that because like, I don't know if you can see, but we're recording this webinar. So on the back of that, we can clip some little bits of content out. We can take a few of the slides or Nick can take a few of the slides. I'll take a few from mine, et cetera, turn those into little posts. You can turn those into a blog post quite easily. You can then create audio by reading that blog post. And you can create video by recording yourself reading the blog post or having a conversation with someone. And you've only thought of one idea that is relevant. And to Nick's point at the start about being super focused on who your client is and what their problem is, if it's really relevant to those people, and you can share that idea in six, seven, eight different ways repeatedly, suddenly you've got weeks worth of content from that one idea. And so I would think about that kind of content leverage model, um, particularly when you're small and resource constrained. Absolutely agree, Jerry. And just sort of reflecting back on Nick's comment about my own business, you know, we've worked with Create Engage since ooh, about 18 months now. And I, we started with a webinar series of five webinars over about a five-week, six-week period. And that probably gave us virtually six months content thereafter. You know, there was so much richness to it. And as you say, repackaged in different ways and, and for different platforms. But that was such a rich vein of content for us that yes we put the effort into the webinar but actually it drove a huge amount for a long period of time thereafter but i was going to start to ask another question and just kind of move us on if we can and i'm yeah going to ask a question that actually betrays that i'm not the marketeer on the call because i'm going to read it out verbatim which says how much would you spend on linkedin and this is where i'm not the marketeer ppc campaign as a toe in the water Gosh, so it's a uh, it's a good question. I I feel the answer I'm going to give is is going to duck it because it it completely depends on how big you are as an organization to what budget makes sense for you. But I actually think before you spend anything, so you know, when I started, I probably spent about a thousand pounds a month. That as a floor would feel comfortable. But the big thing to highlight is so PPC is just a megaphone. So all it does is shout louder than you can do on your own, say, LinkedIn platform. Right. And the reason this is really important is if you're not shouting about something that will generate leads, it's wasted money. So we would always say for something like an ebook, it's brilliant because it drives you to a lead generating asset. Actually, for something like a podcast, it can obviously it can be good, but it's near impossible to track the effectiveness. So you just need to be really careful because the budget conversation should really be a conversation around quality and lead generation as opposed to a simple yardstick of, is it a thousand? Is it 10,000? So that would be be my thoughts on that. Can I just quickly duck in on that one as well? I think it's very important to get your, your funnel right and know that it's working because you can waste an awful lot of money generating leads that just for some reason drop off because you haven't got something set up correctly. You can't track where they came from. You're not, you don't have your processes in place to follow up with them. So I, I would definitely encourage knowing, figuring out what exactly how to set it up well is a, is a worthy investment on that type of thing. I think, sorry, Rob, go on. I was going to try and move us on again, but if you've got something else you want to say, Nick, but Bibles, you go first. Go oh, well, I, well, I was just going to, no, it was just to echo Derry's point is when we started actually, we had to do a lot of testing and learning because we weren't getting the lead quality. And to your point there, I think that's the key thing is none of these are a turn it on and it works forever. 
and some of them will be a turn it never it won't even work to start with so really focus on the quality of what you're doing not simply the tool itself what i was actually going to say is that you know the framework that you've put out and the you know, range of tactics that we've been talking about we've had an assumption in all of that that we're talking about marketing for client marketing for lead what what about you know actually our businesses are about marrying leads with marrying people you know what about the other side of that equation and and kind of marketing for candidates because i think you know probably Derry, that fits also very well with you know some of what explore consulting is doing as well but i, I wonder whether nick perhaps you start and then Derry, you come in in terms of just kind of your thoughts about marketing for talent as it were sure well why don't i touch on how your marketing can support that from a, a firm perspective and then Derry, really keen for the specifics around talent that, that you've seen with your clients so and the reason i say that is Actually, what we see from our clients, and this comes to Derry, what you were saying about attraction is marketing is a great way to show your candidates you you practice what you preach. You know, your candidates, the candidate market's hugely hot, hugely competitive. They want to work for the firm that looks exciting. And that used to be had the biggest office next to London Bridge or Bank. Now it's who is digitally showing that. And so we've had clients who have had direct approaches from candidates because they've seen their podcast, they've seen their LinkedIn. We've had clients where that's referenced in their uh, interview phases. We really, I really liked you because I saw all the marketing you were putting out and saw the, that your mission aligned with mine, which is, I know, something, Derry, you talked about. So I'm going to let Derry touch on actually how he's helping his clients and how the marketing side directly for candidates, but from a what you're doing for your firm, more to reinforce, you might be doing it to get new leads, but it's going to have an impact for candidates and vice versa if you're not. Derry, keen to hear your thoughts. Yeah, um, I, I, to start with, I'd just I'd echo that really. When when you're marketing to clients, what you want to show off is your expertise, your methodologies, and the people on your team. I mean, very often consulting buyers say they buy largely because of the expertise of the people. So if you're not showing off the people on your team in your client marketing, you're missing the trick. And guess what? That works really well for candidate marketing as well because candidates want to see who they're going to be working with, and, and they want to picture themselves in the firm. So there's a there's a few questions that candidates have around, is this the right firm for me? Have I got a shot of getting the job? And what's it going to be like to work there in one kind of stream? And in the other stream, it's just the nuts and bolts of what's the process? Like, how do I apply? What is the interview going to be like? What's the basics of the value proposition? How much am I going to get paid? What's the work-life balance going to be like, et cetera? So very much like Nick's framework for clients, think about what the candidate is feeling. Like what questions do they have? How are they feeling about those questions? How can you give them confidence, address their anxiety, give them the information that they need? And you don't need to do much that's very different from your client marketing on that front. If you want to see a really great example of a consulting firm that markets well to graduates, look at the Newton Europe graduate website. It's uh, superb. Okay, that's fantastic. Nick, we've had a question about ebooks, and I actually understand this one, so I can put it into my own language. Uh, but effectively, when is an ebook an ebook, and when is it not a sales brochure? So it's, it's a great question, and actually, it's fundamental to your marketing and to our last conversation, be it clients or candidates, is it's when it gives value. So when I talked about avatars, your clients have pain points. Your ebooks, your webinars, have to give answers to that. I always say to people I'm meeting for the first time who are, who are trying to gauge this is, if you're not uncomfortable with the amount of IP you're giving away in your marketing, you're not giving away enough. Because if your client cannot do something with what you've given them, it is a sales brochure. Now, 
obviously if what you are giving them is enough for them if if they can do everything you do with just that ebook you need to evaluate your service but fundamentally they should be able to just like this webinar do something with it so that's i think the answer to that question rob is it's very much about it gives value and someone could do something with it yeah. okay so question about systems so kind of question about leads that have been around a while bottom of the funnel are there systems out there that can do some of that kind of more automated response and management and are there things that you could recommend in that respect yeah so definitely from my side i mean i'd, I'd be interested rob i know you know you and you and the team do a lot in the sort of you know, the, the PSA space. So this is probably where, you know, why don't I start? And then maybe you you share the sort of that side of it. But I think firstly, there's a lot out there that to start with is free and always start with you know, something like Zoho Bigin for CRM, for instance, yeah. is like five quid a month. It's not going to break the bank. So that would be the first thing is have somewhere for your leads to go. If you've got an ebook, where are these leads going? And you can set all of these systems up to integrate. I think to your point around automation, for instance, Rob, that's where you could use something like MailChimp as your email platform to be, if you wanted, sending out a, a nurture sequence. So if somebody has downloaded your ebook, you can set it up. So day five, it sends them an automated email with a blog to extend, you know, what they know and then about then it could send them a recorded webinar and then it sends them maybe a an invite for a coffee or a request for coffee that's the sort of automated side but i would counsel automate where it saves time but as much as possible make sure you are giving value in your marketing and if that is not something you can automate don't automate it so i think that's my side but rob i'm conscious you know you once it gets in CRM and, and into, I guess, you know, you touched on the sales management process. How can sort of our audience manage that internally? I, mean, I think, you know, your natural lead in there is to talk about the kind of professional services automation tool set and, you know, in particular, the kind of front end pipeline, perhaps slightly more pipeline management than funnel management. I tend to think mm. about my CRM as being my funnel management. Yes, it's my pipeline management in perhaps deal sequence and deal timing. But actually, what I want my PSA to do is to start to round that out so that actually I'm using my PSA to help me draft my proposal, put my kind of cost and revenue schedules together and use my PSA to that. So I think where the PSA starts to come in some of that automation is actually around kind of the ability to automate your proposal creation when you're to that stage in that process. So looking at the slide we're looking at now, yes, of course, you're at you're at the bottom, you've got a known targeted buyer who's got a specific problem that you have a specific solution to. But actually, you know, historically, um, as I said at the outset, I've been around this industry for quite a long while. You know, the amount of effort that used to go into proposal creation and actually, you know, sometimes pre-proposals as well. You know, uh, it was a exhaustive process. There is a lot of good tools out there at the moment that can support that process streamline that process, not in, just in terms of some of the, the sort of the basics in terms of we always need to produce CVs or, or you know, biogs or whatever, but actually in terms of, you know, helping you to structure templates for cost and revenue calculations to give you kind of margin enhanced kind of perspectives of, of what you're proposing to your client before you ever get to your client. So I, I would definitely see a scarf joint from my CRM into, into my PSA, certainly around kind of proposal management and, and certainly the kind of revenue and cost management side of it or creation side of it. Mm. And just actually, Rob, because you've just, you've touched on a point that, because to your, you know, to what you said, the proposals piece takes time, you can automate it, but there's going to be time. I actually think that's a really nice feed in because that's something else that 
we often get asked about, and for anyone, you know, to the person who asked around the ebook question, if you've done a proposal and it is something that's relatively repeatable or repeated, how can you, to Derry's point, how can you reuse that in your marketing? If you've got the, you know, the old five box consulting model, where is that in your marketing content? Because if you've created a proposal, it's a lot less work to simply then recut that into a marketing piece. So that's just, again, another thought. I had a, a related question for both of you that I, uh, I was pondering as you were answering that. In this hybrid world where you can easily generate conversations with people, and Rob, to your point, those conversations can go quite a long way and you can invest an awful lot of time in developing proposals and things. Like, are you finding that you have to have different rules of thumb as to how you qualify leads and at what point you kind of stop a conversation with someone before you invest time in multiple Zoom calls, et cetera, because it feels easy to jump on a Zoom call like that. Whereas you wouldn't necessarily go meet someone face-to-face unless you were confident that they were close to buying. Mm. Do you want to go first, Rob? Yeah, I mean, I, I, I mean I'm mean, very happy to talk about where I've kind of come from and, and what I've done in the past and, and kind of project that. So I've, I've always had this rule of thumb that, yeah, if I've got a, probably not so much at the funnel stage, but as something's moving funnel pipeline and you're starting perhaps a slightly more engaged conversation with a prospective client, um, of course you're going to invest in that. But, but I've always had a rule of thumb that my investment should be no more than kind of 5% of my projected revenue for the project. And, and actually, 5% of my projected revenue is probably more like 25% of my projected EBITDA or my profit for it. You know? So I've always had that view about how much does one invest. Now, obviously, the bigger the project, the more money that is. The, you know, but, but actually, you do need to think that actually the time that you're spending the investment that you're making in writing the proposal or whatever, yeah, there's an opportunity cost associated with it. There's also a hard cost in terms of you know, the, the business in, and the cost of sale, I suppose. And actually, I've always wanted to take that into account when I've been looking at kind of the, the profitability of an engagement. It's all very easy to look at the profitability of delivery, but actually you want to look at profitability that includes the acquisition of that project as well. So my rule of thumb has always been about 5% of the total value of the project should be invested in the acquisition of that project and securing it. And of course, you're, you're not going to win everyone either. So you have to build that into that equation as well in terms of what you think your hit rate is as to what, what's, what then becomes affordable. If I take it from a different angle, and I think to almost to the marketing point is, I tend to see, to your point, Derry, those sort of we've had five calls and it's not got anywhere. Or frankly, on the first call, you realize you're not going to get anywhere, but you've, you've got to give the hour you've said you would. I often see that come as a result of a lack of, or calls being taken too early in this funnel. So obviously the sales funnel comes off the back of marketing, but if somebody jumps from top of funnel to a call, often they haven't done enough of the understanding they need a solution, what that looks like. And actually to the point around automation, I wouldn't say this is automation in the sort of RPA, AI type sense, but that's where these assets are really powerful is by having content, you're automating your process there, Derry. So I have, for instance, clients where I know they've listened to 20 podcasts of me before they've called me. I've got clients where I know they've read our newsletter for two, three, four months before they've called us. And the reason that's important is because by the time they've listened to enough content, read enough content, learned about us, they have a good view of what we are, what we aren't, and therefore, if we're, if we're right for them. Now, certain things like pricing, for instance, you may or may not share, and that might be a blocker that you just can't predict. But for what we do, that is where your marketing becomes really powerful, is if people can self-serve, 
you can really reduce that risk so that to Rob's point, instead of spending 25%, you're spending five, six, and that has a massive compounding effect on your time. Since we are very close to the to the hour, I think this is all one last question. Nick, there's a question here about kind of metrics and KPIs when you're know, tracking something through a sort of sales and marketing activity. I just wonder whether you, you've got some kind of rule of thumb KPIs that you use, just as I've explained from my own kind of investment point of view, what, what would you sort of advocate in that sense? Yeah, so it's, it's a great question. And I think it depends firstly where you are in your maturity. So at the start, I actually would say focus less on the KPIs, focus more on the quality of the content. Now, obviously, KPIs will indicate quality. So are you seeing more people coming to your LinkedIn page? Are you seeing people sign up for your webinar? And keeping a consistent view on whether that's going up or down, because if you've never done it, you need a benchmark. So that first piece is just do build a benchmark. And then it's really about focusing on what are you trying to achieve? So if actually you're just trying to build a brand awareness, keep with LinkedIn. Are we getting more hits? Are we seeing more people? If it's lead generation, you've got to focus on that. How many ebook downloads have we had this week? Is that more or less than last week and why? How many people have we got on our webinars? Is it, you know, for us, what the minimum should be? And that it's really important to say, this is really personal. You know, just like we're all going to run a 5K in different times, you improve from where you start. So I have a, as I said, I have clients who've had 200 people on webinars. I've had clients who've had 20. They're worlds apart in terms of organization. Wow. So that's where the metrics you track are the same, but really make sure it's relevant to your to your own situation, your own sort of consultancy. But Rob Derry, I'm in, interested in your thoughts as, as well on that. I mean, in terms of, um, sort of from a very personal point of view, uh, you know, sort of metrics that I would look at in terms of, Really, it's about volume movement, I think, is what I'm looking at. So both in terms of quantity, but value as well. So at the early stage of whether it's a whether it's a, 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 you know, a funnel or whether it's a pipeline, actually, it's about, for me, it's about stage conversion. And it's about the, the quantum, probably in pound note terms, rather than the number of projects that are moving. And actually, the pace at which they're moving, over what period am I looking at? And I think you know they're sort of some of the the lead indicators I would be looking for because actually everything else suddenly becomes a lag indicator, you know, in terms of the outcome of all of that. But certainly in lead indicators, I think kind of quantum pound note quantum and pace at which things move through kind of your pipeline stages, however you've defined your pipeline stage. Yeah, really good points, Derry. Do you want to? I'm conscious we're pretty much out of time, but do you want to add any last thoughts, and then we'll draw to a close. One final thought on that is for, for small firms that are growing fast, I quite like KPIs that are expressed as ratios. Mm-hmm. So because then they you don't need to reevaluate your target every few months. You can just look at the ratio. So things like how many inquiries are you getting versus your live client base? How many LinkedIn followers have, have you got versus your existing follower base as a ratio? And you try and keep that ratio steady as you grow. And overall, that will lead to accelerated growth. No, great point. Well, we are at time. Thank you, everyone who stayed. I'm conscious we're a minute or so over, so we'll draw to a close. So all that's left to say is thank you so much for joining us. I've really enjoyed today. Derry, Rob, I thought your sessions were great, and I know we've had some brilliant feedback on those. For anyone who is watching this, wants to find out about the other two sessions, I will share those after today's webinar. So you'll have all three on demand to watch back. If you have any questions on hybrid marketing, please come to me. Hybrid talent, please go to Derry. And hybrid operations, please go to Rob. So Rob Derry, thank you very much. And everyone enjoy the rest of your day. Thanks, Thanks everyone. Bye-bye.
Cheers. I hope you enjoyed today's episode of Climbing Consulting. If you have any guest recommendations, comments, ideas, thoughts on how I can make this show better for you, just drop me an email. It's nick at createengage.co.uk and I really look forward to hearing from you.